right, we are here with a Music Talk, another edition. I am here with a writer, guitar player, and band leader, Brian Ruskin. How you doing, man? Doing great. You doing good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, we, we had a really fun uh, fun night the other night with uh, Caleb. We got to go jam, right, at, at his place. That's a good time. Mm -hmm. I don't usually get to jam like that anymore with people because it's always songs and you're, you're at a jam and everybody has like a tune and stuff. And we, we just like went at it, right? It was a great chemistry. I really kind of regret not having a recording mm -hmm. device there. Yeah, the yeah, we should have recorded that. That was really cool. And, and we, it was just like kind of meandering jams and we did a really good job of like some guys aren't good at that like really t starting a jam and then being able to take it somewhere they're so used to playing like 30 chord jazz tunes where you have this huge structure and stuff yeah it takes even some great jazz players maybe aren't always comfortable or it could be one person in the group that maybe their vibe they're not as much into that free mm -hmm type approach mm -hmm. and like that's a that's a big deal because you've got to like you you've got to be watching and listening to everybody because one guy is trying to take it to this totally awesome place and then everybody else doesn't have any idea what he's doing and then so it's it just falls right because right. nobody nobody is is listening and they're they're not able to adjust their playing and like i noticed the guys in wichita were like that a lot they really were really good at that the guys in kansas city would just you know destroy them, you know, with sight reading and things like that, you know, but, um, but yeah, man, uh, so, uh, I, I first wanted to tell you, uh, that I really appreciate you letting me sit in with your band a little bit at the Phoenix. Yeah, glad to have you there, man. Yeah, 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 that was, that's just cool, because I know the jams are for that, you know, of newer players and young guys coming in and, and learning their chops and stuff, but I, I definitely appreciate you, you coming in and, uh, let, letting me sit in there that, that was that's been really cool i mean it's been five or six times i think that i've been up there at your your gig so i definitely thanks for that um so uh your 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 whole family's had a really good tradition here in town i mean yourself obviously included and uh talk talk a little bit about like what how you kind of got started and your your beginnings of of your your band career the band career didn't really start till about the time I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. You know, I started playing guitar when I was 12. And uh, a lot of guys, you know, they get an instrument and they, they get with guys and start playing in bands right away. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess I had this thing feeling like I'm not really ready yet. Mm -hmm. So I'd practice in my room and my friends would come over and I'd play along with mm -hmm. Zeppelin and Rush yeah. albums. and. And then these young guys come along, this guy had been playing just a few months and he's getting good really fast. And, uh, hey, hey, Brian, come join my band. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I joined uh, this band, first, the first band that I had, and that was just more of a garage band. Mm -hmm. And then by the time uh, graduation, one of the guys that was in that band, really great bass player, Carl Spicer, went on to join a band called Sapphire, which was uh, kind of an 80s uh, cover band mm -hmm. traveling Midwest and so it kind of hooked me into that mm -hmm. that was about three and a half mm -hmm. years yeah yeah wow uh, traveling around the Midwest in a big blue school bus <laughs> <laughs> how was that Tra like 
I bet you got some funny, uh... Some wild times, you know. We had an awful lot of PA gear and lights mm-hmm. that we hauled around. I mean, it took, you know, two or three hours to get set up. And, mm-hmm. and, and at times more. Sometimes it was just hours and hours of listening to them. <laughs> two, three hours. Trying to figure out how to get a sound out of the kick drum, you mm-hmm. know. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, that was the first professional experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh... That ended around 86 and then mm-hmm. got into some other bands. Uh, uh, Andy DeWitt called me around 86 with a band called The World of Susie Wong, which was kind of a cover band that was more a little more dance music type stuff. Mm-hmm. And that lasted like a year. Mm-hmm. And, and then Gary Mack started calling me with some uh, experiences with uh, Kenny Hudson and Pete Cole, some of the guys doing a little more R and B type stuff. Yeah, I know Pete. Yeah, yeah. And, which I had no experience, you know. So I was very <laughs> green in that style because my interest had always been more in the harder rock stuff mm-hmm. before that. And then growing up with jazz, uh, I wasn't as interested in really delving into jazz. It was there, mm-hmm. but the interest didn't really spark to get into it until much later, really. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk, talk about a second you because you, you, we were talking on the phone how you had this big time where you were like just basically practicing right and then then came this moment where you finally did the band right am I correct on that right right, right. yeah so so talk about that because I think that's really important of why didn't you do a band well like earlier. I said it was probably this mentality of feeling. Uh, I didn't know a lot of musicians, you know, there were some drummers, like in the ninth grade I played with uh, my first drummer, a guy by the name of Eric Owens from Indian Hills mm-hmm. Middle School, and a uh, great, great player, and uh, and then there was another drummer named Pat Pfeiffer, just guitar, drums, bashing in the basement, and then yeah, like I said, this other guy uh, that approached me was a real more of a type A personality operator, mm-hmm. he had the full band. <laughs> in the garage and he ended up leaving that group and we continued on a bit but yeah it was just uh, I, I think that that whole mentality of not being ready is something I've wrestled with up to this day mm-hmm. <laughs> you know still trying to get things together but uh, yeah yeah uh, so like because because that's really a big deal because we notice that a ton at open jams or I do right. where you have a guy and I always joke that that because as a violin player i always get people at jams like a random guitar player doing like strummy folk kind of stuff and he's he always comes up oh man dude violin would be so good with our stuff man and and then he'll be like okay guys so i wrote this song like while you were talking just now and then i'm gonna (laughs) like do it you know and and you know i'm joking but he's like i wrote this song like three days ago and now i'm gonna go perform it at an open jam you know and that's completely opposite of what your mentality was of sitting here going like, oh man, I don't know if I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready for this, you know, that this like awareness sort of, or maybe shyness of, of thinking that you're, can you like talk a little bit about that? Cause I don't think a lot of people have that. Yeah. Uh, gosh. I guess my question is like, why did you feel shy about that? Well, I can't really, I don't know about going into all that right 
Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is that like we we all have that. Like I know I've had that with the the, the jazz jams. You know, I'll go yeah. up and and I'll be like, oh my gosh, these guys are ridiculous. Right. You know, and and I only well that's it. I and I grew up around that environment and that kind of pretty hardcore mentality. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was that feeling. And then you know you get around people who are like, hey, that's really good, and you kind of find your mm-hmm. your niche. You know. And so yeah, I found the niche, and it was it was a good, amazing start, and had the opportunity to work with a lot of phenomenally great bass players. And mm-hmm. so that first band, uh, the bass player was just that way. He'd only been playing three months, and he was just amazing. Yeah, right off the from the get go. And so that was inspiring. And so I've always been you know, really drawn to bass, mm-hmm. and even though I don't really play, I mean, you know, I think bass, and I. Mm. I understand bass and bass lines and try to incorporate that in my own playing, you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so. Yeah, so, so, so you were talking about some of the other bands that you, that you did that, like, Cowtown thing. And, Cowtown uh, was right at the break of the 90s, and, mm-hmm. and I had been more in the rock stuff and, and things, and so that was the first country band, and it helped. Uh, in a lot of ways, some of the foundational theory things like triads and scales, mm. I didn't have a lot of uh, as much interest early on, maybe, or, and the light bulb going off as at applying the stuff. Mm. And it was like that was a light bulb kind of experience where it's like, ah, oh, mm. this stuff, stuff that I had actually worked quite hard on, actually, different things and versions and stuff. And, and there was a really practical application with country. Mm-hmm. Doing some of these things, and yep. then and then tying the other styles together, you know, seeing how country and the rock and the blues and everything and jazz, like there was a thread that, that tied them all together. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, I know, I think about that a lot. Is I'm fascinated by the differences and all of these kind of general genres, but that thread also that happens in there is really really interesting. Like what was. What was some differences, like playing wise, of things you had to do in country than your rock, I guess, that you were doing? Well, uh, a lot of listening and a lot of dynamics, you know. Mm. You know, we would hit, we had a steel guitar, bass, drums, acoustic, vocals. Maybe the whole band comes in really strong on the intro. Mm. And then she comes in on a verse, and it might be me back and way off, and the steel player kind of accompanying mm. on one verse. And then the chorus, maybe, you know, we're all in. And then yeah. maybe I take the second verse accompanying and learn yeah. how to accompany a singer in a different way where it's not just strumming chords, mm-hmm. but you're moved, you got some movement, you know, and things. And so that became a big inspiration, uh, hearing that kind of stuff and trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. How did you do, like, because I deal with that too, when you have, like, yourself and a steel and then you guys are like uh what's his face Winton Marsalis was talking about that negotiation mm-hmm. of of your your agendas sort of of I want to come out in this band because I want to be heard but you have to kind of negotiate when you so so you were talking about maybe he comps first verse mm-hmm. then you comp second how how was that did you have that in the other rock band as no, much no no so yeah. say that was a first time experience for that so it was real just a neat thing, you know, mm-hmm. getting into that. Because before he, 
uh, it was Ted Ward and Ronnie Ward and the Cowtown Band. <laughs> great people, great friends. And Ted kept asking me to join his band. And I was trying to do my own band for a while. And then when that finally blew up in my face after a point, <laughs> I was kind of like, what do I do now? You know, do I move somewhere, a different yeah. city or whatever? And then he called and I thought, you know, it's probably a good time to do mm -hmm. this. And it really was. It was a, it was a good experience. And uh, it was weird, though, because... Uh, I would kind of go off and do my own thing and then come back and play with them. And the perspective change as a band leader and a sideman mm. is different. Because I could almost see myself and, and some of the things I didn't like about band leader, you know, mm. see people make and myself making the same mistakes. And the more you go on the other side of the fence, your perspective helps you do a better job at both things as yeah. a side man having more respect for a band leader mm. and then uh, and then trying to be a better leader when you're in that right place, you know? so what so I mean you don't have to call them out I guess but what what was one of those things that, that you noticed that you were doing or noticed that that you that didn't work or whatever or that did work sometimes yeah. some well and, and it can work for the right situations but you know if, if we try to be too controlling in a band leader situation mm. it can kind of kill some of the spirit and, and spontaneity but I can understand there are times where that needs to be and if it's somebody that has a, a vision you know but yeah you deal with and I had a lot of immaturity and ego, and so, you know, I wanted to do what I wanted. No you way. Know, you know what I mean? <laughs> we <laughs> <So>. all do. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's so, really interesting that you mentioned that about, about seeing both sides of that. Because I know I've done that before where I was a 100% band member, you know, and then I went over to this other country band and I got to sort of for the first time see what it would look like to kind of run it, even though I wasn't running it. Then when I did the dudes, now I'm 100% in control, but that was a really good experience because then mm -hmm. I got to be the band leader, but then now playing with Scott, now I'm not the band. So it was cool to see like both sides back to back and, um, and what, uh, so, so talk, uh, talk about that too, about you, you had this moment, I think that I did where the guy calls you, he's like playing this country band and you're all like country, ugh, you know, and then, and then you try it and what, what happened after you, after you, tr so you, you had some hesitancy doing it well, the first, the, right? The, there was months before when he asked, I'm thinking, hey, I don't really have interest. Mm -hmm. I got my own thing. And then, like I said, at that time when I, well maybe so and then he gave me some cassette tapes of the band playing and some of the tunes and mm -hmm. I'm like man this is really cool stuff it was mm -hmm. new and they they were a hip country band they played Blaney's I don't know if you were around when Blaney's was open yeah Blaney's was a very cool hang down in Westport down mm -hmm. the basement and a lot of very cool bands played there and they played there which was there was no other probably country because they had a little bit of they came from rock and different mm -hmm. other styles and and uh, you know they had really good players, and so you know it was it was a little more of a hip situation, and so when I got into it and then hearing the a lot of the you know really good songs, and uh, yeah it was it was good. And the guys were obviously cool and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Band members. Definitely. Yeah, that's cool, man. 
And yeah, I, I know I had the same thing where I was just super hesitant. And then I went and saw it. And even though mine was a little bit, my first big country band was different than yours, where I was playing with, you know, these guys were all 64. You know, I mean, they were, they were much older than me. And so it was a little bit more of Hank Williams and definitely some super old stuff. And, but, uh, but I got to see it and I, I was, I'm glad that I did. I'm glad I did it. That was the other thing too, because it was in the turn of the 90s when new country was mm -hmm. kind of coming out. And they're Garth like, was huge right then. And yeah, they're yeah, like yeah. going, okay, this isn't the old crying in your beer. This is really cool new mm -hmm. stuff. I'm like, okay, that's the perspective. Yeah. And then after that, around 94, I moved to Austin and I started, you know, you get around people like, no, that new country is cheesy. The old country is the cool stuff, you know. Yeah. I haven't been around any of it, but you get around different people, different cliques, and kind of get inside their head and understand what it is they like, mm -hmm. why their their view on music, and and so that that was kind of the perspective. I, you know, meeting a lot of people that are really good writers and uh, more into the roots type thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really that's really funny because you can get around two bands and they're like, they're like new country, please, you know. And then the other guys are like, dude, old country, are you serious, you know? And they're they're just like, you just got to be really fluid, you know. I guess because you you could go right to another band that's like, no, we're not doing any Faith Hill, we're not doing any of this new, you know. Yeah, right. It's funny. So you talked about Cowtown, and then what? There was one more on there that. That you were talking oh uh, no Austin that's what was the other one and then so what so what happened after Austin Austin what happened after Austin was coming back here in 2000 but yeah between uh, about 90 the end of 94 through 2000 I was down in that mm -hmm. Austin and a little bit of San Antonio but uh, and that was just really that was a great experience mm -hmm. you know? What was what was the gig scene like in Austin? Because everybody knows what it's like here. What 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 was it like down there? You know, there was stuff like what we do that's regular work. There was regular work, and then there was a lot of performance venues and mm -hmm. uh, really good scene. And the time that I was there was a good time for Austin. Mm -hmm. There was the '70s when Austin first happened, mm -hmm. and the time when I was there was probably some of the best from hearing from some of the natives there mm -hmm. that those were some of the better times and you know it's become so overpopulated and, and you know I don't know I think it's still a cool town I, mm -hmm. I went to visit last January or a couple of years ago actually but mm -hmm. um, but yeah uh, you know 6th Street it's probably not what it used to be mm -hmm. it's more of a tourist yeah, yeah. Type stuff but uh, but yeah, there's some some good stuff. So it was pretty raw and real, huh? Down there at that at that time, at that time and yeah. yeah, yeah, just about any style that you'd want. Mm -hmm. That's cool. A lot of morphing of styles and stuff that I'm interested in, you know. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um. So I know um, both uh, both of your your parents have been a huge influence on you, right? Can you just talk for a minute about what, what they have meant to your career or whatever? Well, uh, yeah, it's just, uh,
man, to be honest, there was a lot of separation really uh, mm. uh, with with my dad. We we had some reconciliation before he passed on, but mm. there was such a distance. Uh, I think maybe the rock and roll was more of a safe haven for me. You know, mm. he That's was kind interesting. of in his own thing, so I never really felt too much a part of it. But no, it was great though. At, at the same time, growing up and just hearing uh, some of the best musicians anywhere. Yeah, and uh, I I don't know the uh, the whole essence of that music and and the whole concept. It's kind of unfolded little by little over the years, and since his passing just a couple of years ago, it's it more so even his way of looking at because I try to share stuff with him like that I liked, and a lot of times he's like, yeah, you know, yeah, and I and maybe there was a lot of elements of his element that I kind of it was the same thing but I've uh yeah grown like now it's a it's a huge influence and that kind of music is really I'm really taking an interest in some of the older uh tunes and sure. finding my own voice in that you know yeah uh but yeah for a, a long time it'd been more of just you know uh, struggling and working on my own and trying to find and innovate within mm -hmm. other realms you know mm -hmm. stuff together but uh uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, the just jazz in general, e even even if it wasn't directly, I mean, it, it that that's obviously influenced you, right? I mean, I go oh, listen yeah. to your band and, and just his, yeah. and it's you know, it's a lot of uh, this eat, sleep, drink, that type of music, <laughs> mm -hmm. and 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 attempting to do that, but sometimes, you know, you're working and uh, just like I said, it's like a little light bulb goes off after a point with a, a certain aspect of the musicality mm. that helps to open things up more. I don't know how to describe it, if that's making any sense. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it totally is. Yeah, I, I only saw, I, I didn't, you know, know him, but um, I saw him a couple times with Brahm, and uh, one thing I noticed was just the ridiculously solidness of his playing. You know, it's just the, 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 you know, the rhythm was ridiculously solid. He is... He was not taking over anybody. He was completely doing his role in a perfect way. You know, that, that was just the thing I noticed about the kind of professionalism of his playing was just ridiculous, you know what I mean? And, and, yeah, it's just real no BS, just uh -huh. straight, you know, just really good, yeah. Yeah, and that's, re that's really cool. I think uh, I think maybe that attitude is, is I, I see that in your band in, in a sense that you, you're really good at knowing what your role is right now. You know, I'm getting, like you were saying with the, the country band, I'm going to back off, let Caleb do his solo hard and come back in and I'm singing and now I'm going to do solo. And like, and I don't know if you see a little bit of that, but I, I think I see a little bit of that. Um, what else we got on there? Let's see. Yeah. So let's talk, let's move a little bit to talk about theory a little bit. Because I know that a lot of like jazz players like yourself have a very, very, very clear understanding of their fingerboard and, and what, that, that I can play this, this G7 whatever, like seven different spots on my neck. And I, I know that like with, with why... Why do you like chords? Why why do you like that idea of of that many of of 
being able to adjust your your plan. Like, can you talk about that a little I bit? I guess movement, you know, kind of movement and the freedom. Uh, after a while, because when you get to you know a little a few little areas, and then pretty soon you realize you're kind of getting that rut where you're stuck in mm-hmm. the same little area, and, and it's trying and just uh, expanding on your the language of the music and the harmony and variations, color, uh, just trying to grow and and and. Uh, yeah, I, I'm still, you know, some of these masters, my dad worked with John Elliott at the Playboy Club mm-hmm. years ago. John Elliott was the teacher for everybody here, all the masters that are in Kansas City and the, you know, cats from, uh, you know, Matheny, Dan Ambry, mm-hmm. uh, Rod Fleeman, mm-hmm. everybody That's took from right He had a, over a year waiting list and J.U. Daly, you know, studied with him. And so Jay's concept of his teaching is kind of based on that harmony mm-hmm. and it's very thorough and I have had a very difficult problem myself with personal management I didn't study with any of these guys mm-hmm. so I'm kind of trying to grab pieces as I go mm-hmm. and and as I'm as a working musician sometimes it's just like whatever tunes I'm working on at the time I might be taking some time to apply that just so I can Get around those tunes in, in a better way, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm trying to to get back and and go through that program more. Like, but what happens on that that good intentions list is we get caught up doing stuff, and then you know pretty soon there's several months go by. Oh yeah, I haven't really been yeah in that area. But mm-hmm. right now I'm kind of in a period where I'm trying to get back on on some of those things. Mm-hmm. In the woodshed and a little yeah. bit, and not just doing your gigs all day. Right. Yeah. You know, like accompanying my mom, which is one of the hardest gigs, period, because she's played with the, the best mm-hmm. of the best. And so, you know, if it's just me accompanying her, it's like, you know, trying. So I'm taking some of her tunes. Mm-hmm. And and the goal was to get where I can do a solo arrangement. If I can be solid on that, then I can do a good job mm-hmm. behind her. Yeah. And so it's taking those tunes and it's kind of like taking those chords and working on the inversions through the progression, you know, it might be going around the progression, maybe I'll just go ascending in the chords, mm. but it's kind of going through the changes of the tune and, you know, trying to just work as many different ways. So eventually when you have that more, you know, you're not really thinking about it, you're just yeah able to flow through it, but. Yeah, that's that's cool, man. I'm really fascinated by like harmony and chords too. If I, if I had to choose about a song I generally would like, it would probably have more than five chords. (laughs) You know, that's just the songs that I just like to listen to. There's some awesome tunes that are very simple like that too. I I have nothing against a two chord song. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, three chord country tune. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all good. But uh, yeah, but I love the other stuff too. Yeah, I find that that the country tunes that I like more than others are ones that like have a minor in them, right? And that are the six chord, you know, something like Baton Rouge, if you know that song, or even even like Country Roads or something, John, you know, uh, those pop tunes that have, that aren't just three, I just, I just like that better. Um, what, so, so that leads me to my next question is, you're a big, you're a big writer, right? I mean, you, you've written definitely more than one song in your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm always really impressed by your writing, man. Um, and I know sometimes you've been doing, uh, I've heard you do like, uh, some uh, some of your kind of your own complete own thoughts, but 
I know sometimes you've done some like kind of tribute songs once in a while. I remember you did the that uh, what was it? Oh, the Bayo Fleck one. Mm -hmm. You know that that was a really cool. Yeah, it was a really cool song. And uh, can you talk a little bit about like why why do you write the music that you do? Like, well, I mean, and it's all different reasons. That yeah. one when I was living in Austin, there was a. Uh, another guitar teacher friend of mine named Jorge Ortiz, mm -hmm. who was really an excellent, he had this excellent teaching concepts. We'd be talking on the phone and, and he was talking about, uh, I think he was describing Coltrane like really simple melodies with really complex chord changes. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about an exercise of just doing that, you know, and so I was playing around with just trying to do a very simple melody, which Waltz for Vela is a very, very simple melody, but when you put mm -hmm. the chord changes with it, it has more of a complexity to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I was messing with it, it kind of it reminded me a little bit of one of his things. Uh, and so, yeah, so that became Waltz for Vela. Um, and so, you know, if I get around somebody that's a great singer-songwriter, that's inspiring to me. I. I get inspired by anything really good and then maybe mm -hmm. I want to delve in and try to, you know, uh, write something along those lines. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I haven't really, uh, been writing. I guess I've been more in the woodshed lately, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm putting some ideas down, <laughs> revisiting some old ones. Yeah. There's so many ways to write. I mean, mm -hmm. you've got your storyteller guys that are just real sound lyrical stuff and, and then putting a few chords to it, you know, works good. And then there's the thing of maybe coming up with a, a unique progression or a musical thing and and then words are kind of forming. Maybe a, you're kind of getting into a thing and you're kind of singing, just hem-hawing and maybe a word comes out and you start shaping around mm -hmm. and then the meaning, like but when the whole thing's finished, you're looking at the meaning going, wow. Mm -hmm. No, that was gonna come out that way, you know. Yeah, you did. You didn't really have a purpose going in, and the, it, it just and morphed it, and changed yeah, as you're going. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Some, some of them kind of write themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I know that one thing that I'm always fascinated by with writing music is that is like you like you just said, kind of. There's a lot of people that have a whole bunch of different mentalities when they're writing. Um, definitely in our our kind of pop culture. We, we have, uh, there's some formulas, you know, that, that people have started to get into. And, and one of my buddies was talking about the, it, it's called, he calls it the pitter patter. And what he means by that is you, you have, you, you just come up with some sort of sound effecty thing with your vocals that repeats, and then you have a hit song. So for example, they would do the, with Sugarland, they do the whoa-oh, whoa-oh, stuck like glue, you, whoa-oh, whoa-oh, you know, is, is the pitter-patter he's talking about. And then uh, a lot of times the, like, if you knew that pretty, uh, pretty fly for a white guy, it was like an offspring song. And they, and they sing this a whole bunch of these random tags and it's like, uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, cinco, seis, you know, the cinco, cinco, you know. So his idea is that all you have to do is to write one of these hit songs on Billboard is just make a pitter-patter in your song and then you've got a hit song. You know, and all you have to do is, do, and I thought that was really funny and telling that he was talking about that. People like you and me, I don't know, and I guess I'm, I won't speak for you, but I know that I don't think that way. I, I write stuff that I think sounds cool, and then that's kind of where it ends. Mm -hmm. um, 
talk about can you talk about that of people like kind of wanting to make sure people like it and then people that are I am kind of like stereotyping sides here but kind of the more writing for entertainment side and then maybe writing for like maybe like an artist kind of side you know do you have any like thoughts on that yeah I mean yeah sometimes you know there is a little tog toggling I mean you want to make a connection with people with stuff and so sometimes you know you can get uh maybe not meaning to but you can get uh stuck on that other side of mm. thinking and and sometimes that's okay sometimes it might be something that just works and it's it's fun it's mm. a good song or whatever yeah i don't have anything against that so to speak but mm. it's just kind of the whole artistic approach i mean and then there's things that are real personal that are just you know uncompromised and Right, and you, you, it is what it is because it's really personal, and you, you just, I, I don't care. It, this yeah. is what the song is, right, and I, right. yeah, yeah. I, I just, I've always thought that was really funny because I, I may be being unfair with my critique of this. Is that there's like, there's like only this side and only that side, and that's that's kind of silly. But you definitely, we we both definitely know a ton of artists. Uh, one um, would be a good example. Um, Like I, I don't know a lot a lot of those bands that typical Americans would say that music is ridiculously out there <laughs> you know th those would be, you know we know tons of those kinds of bands and then you have you know bands that are just writing for the public and they they want to find that perfect that perfect formula and yeah. they can have their you know and sometimes those songs the, the problem is though sometimes those songs like I'll go look at my I'm like man cover tunes those those sellouts, da da da, you know, and then I'll go look at my CD player and it's 500 CDs of cover tunes. I'm like, I actually do like these songs, so it's like, I'm kind of hating on it, but. <laughs> but. Yeah. <clears throat> once yeah, a lot of the stuff like that that's more real catchy radio might get your attention, you really like it, but you could get burned on it pretty quick, is where some of that stuff that's a little, might seem a little more out to people that, that I really dig, you know. Mm. It always sounds brand new almost you know mm -hmm. it's so complex that you can come back to it in 10 years and you're like i never heard that ever like that little thing in that piece and then like you said it's like new now yeah um cool yeah so my next question is so you're you you're obviously a writer and a player but you're now uh so how long is the Ruskin Quartet or Ruskin Band been going? Well, it's been like a lot of different incarnations. <laughs> the, the first uh, time <laughs> that we had uh, Ruskin Quartet was when I was in Austin and it was a three piece and we thought it would just be funny to call it Ruskin Quartet as a trio. Mm -hmm. and, and I did that a little bit up here as well. Yeah. Uh, and then when Caleb joined mm -hmm. officially and so it was officially a quartet at that time, Bree and Jeremy and, and Caleb. And when the Phoenix had closed for a couple of years, right. when they opened up, I went and talked to them. And, and so that's about when that band kind of became a band Yeah, with the four of us. So we've been... Kind of the that. recent incarnation of it was right when they came back in. And of course, there's been uh, there's a lot of incarnations over the years of different people, who, whoever's available in the rhythm section right. area and, and things. So... 
Yeah, so 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 that's kind of leading to my next question. So when you're dealing with your band, I think this happens a lot when we when we run bands is that there's and I think I think like Miles was the perfect person at this where he he was really good at going like, "Man, you're obviously an awesome player. I don't want you for this. I need you for this." You know, he had, he had like a vision of what this guy's skills would be really really good at. And I think he was one of those people that is very that was very good at that, knowing that I I'm hearing your tone and your attack and your and, and and like I want you to do this crazy fusion project that I have. I know that you'd be good at this standard stuff, but I want you to play your crap over this. And so can you can you talk a little bit about like what when people play in your band, what are cuz some people do this where they where they hire a person and they sort of go, "Okay, he's a good player, so I need him in my band, but he might not be the kind of perfect person for the band." Do you do what do you think about when you need to be looking looking for a person? You don't just need a sight reader, right, or something. It's got to be kind of a right mix. Of, what do you What do you think about? Well, you know, and that is something that's uh, that I've come across, and and uh, and and kind of getting more into it this time uh, because there is such a great network, and there is a, a lot of material that I have in the can working, mm. and. Uh, yeah, there are certain projects where I need certain kinds of players that can kind of pull into this, and then mm. you know, yeah, there definitely. Because um, there's like jack of all trades kind of guys where they're great sight readers. They can improv. Sure, they sure. they know their chords. They have good rhythm, um, and you know we have. We have 70 to 200 of those jazz guys in town that are great musicians and they, they can play in a lot of stuff but but it's like like with my band for example i i knew that odd meters was kind of a thing you know i i even though i needed people who could sight read i needed to make sure that they were very comfortable with like the fives and the sevens and stuff and is that something that goes through your head a little bit too yeah, uh, and I think over the years as a band, I've tried to kind of morph everything into this one thing. And and there's the working there's the working musician thing, and then there's the artists. There are the guys that have the day jobs that are artists that, that rehearse for a particular venue performance, and, mm -hmm. and uh, kind of coming to a time where you know uh, separating like a little bit of different project, like you have a, a separate project for this and. And that, but you know, I think over the years, you kind of, I've kind of morphed, tried to put everything into mm -hmm. this one thing, and it, and it gets kind of chaotic. So yeah. now I'm kind of going through and trying to focus things out and separate them a little more, and right. maybe have something where okay, the, these guys will be good for this, and this is good over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because because that that leads back to my point of like when you're finding the people that need to play, and then you make it this everything kind of a band you know that that like that would now even limit your amount of people that can play in this band right i mean if they need to do literally everything you know if we right and some know. chemistries have been closer into that type of thing than others mm -hmm. you know as far as being able to go and have the freedom to go and uh and then the viewpoints change playing with different people my influences over the years you know playing with wakefield uh mm -hmm. Uh, it was influenced me into in some other things that are more uh, harder swing and 
some of that traditional mm-hmm. thing, and it's it's really cool. And where before that, before hit him on the long stretch at the Phoenix, I was into more really out free type stuff, which mm-hmm. I still like, but yeah, I think I've been uh, kind of going the other way since then. I've been enjoying more just inside type. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Some of the older but uh, yeah. But yeah, different players. After a time, you, you start to, you know, they they become some of the biggest influences. I mean, we have our heroes that we've listened to on records, sure. but, but we have so many great players here, and and uh, you get a chance to work with those people. They become very influential, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Uh, so get, getting back to playing in general, uh, you were talking a lot about. Um, a lot about like melodies and stuff and that that's a thing I think a lot of people don't worry as much about anymore I think especially soloing I think because it was explained to me a long time ago definitely that Ken Burns jazz video I don't know if you saw that that series but they talked a little bit about this where the old school was take the melody screw with it and then that's your solo and then they're talking about Parker came around and he was like, oh, screw this. I'm just going to take these chords and just go nuts on these chords and resolve it. But his focus was chords rather than melody, I think. Yeah, but a he, little bit. you know, but he still, you know, yeah, it, okay. Parker can play the hell out of the melodies, you know. Sure, and yeah. it's just melodies on melodies, you know. And uh, that was another thing that as far as the influence of my dad early on, he talked about that and when I was really young. And mm-hmm. I had no appeal. Like it's like, learn these melodies, and I'm like, man, I'm listening to Jimmy Page and yeah, Black Sabbath and Van Halen. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, now that's like I've taken like it's come to heart. And and on the guitar, it's like you know you can learn that same melody in the same octave range in a million different places. So. It's real easy to get into the visual pattern thing and not really know what notes you're playing on the guitar. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and a lot of the jazz people look at that as an enemy, mm-hmm. getting too much in the, because for years, all those years as a young player, it was just like, oh, there's a little scale shape and I'm, I'm moving it to the seventh fret. I can play in that key. Mm-hmm. And so I've been kind of trying to unlearn those things in the last yeah so that's years you know and and learning the melody and learning you know whether it's single note or with chords and and it's just become more of an interest you know especially more in the last few mm. years even yeah because I, I like i know i think i heard rod talk about this where he's like he was talking about how sometimes the box is good you know that yeah, I mean, at the beginning really it's good but you you can get stuck yeah right you can get stuck in that mentality of the of the just the shape or whatever like like so talk talk about that i mean do people get stuck there a lot oh, yeah yeah it's just the nature of the guitars is kind of it's yeah it's a whole trap of getting you know you can get stuck in that type of thing uh i had another something on that slipped out but, <laughs> um, yeah and, th- and that's where uh, when I was talking about John Elliott Rod Fleeman was talking about that because those little triad shapes you can just move those you know like that and mm. Elliott really is like no you know I want to know what what's the interval name the note name and the inversion Ooh. Uh, every single Ooh. every aspect and, and that's what I've found like 
I'm trying to slow down. It's like, it's okay. I take my time and really study this. And so another thing with the melody thing is thinking of the intervals, you know, if you're hearing it and recognizing, oh, okay, that's a fifth, five, yeah. six, five, one, seven. Yeah, eight. right, right, yeah. Uh, and hearing it that way, and that can help you in the transposition if you go to another key and you're kind of hearing and recognizing those. So... God, that's a whole nother level, man. I mean, that right of, of your brain going and knowing every, I mean, that's, that's knowing your fingerboard, right? I mean, or just, that's, that's really what we're, we're talking, talking about when you're talking about yeah. knowing what you're doing. Uh, yeah. I just, I think that's really crazy. Cause like, uh, cause a lot of people it's just, and that's, that's really interesting how you and I and other people like your, your teacher and whoever is that that's, that's what level we like to think about music on is this really deep intellectual level where you're knowing your third and your seventh and where that is. And some other guys get up there and they're like, Oh, I just like it. And I just play. And then that's good enough. You know, it's yeah. kind of good enough for them. And it's good to let all that stuff and just play and just let things happen, you know, mm -hmm. but it's a time, you know, there's a time to study a little bit and then a time to just forget it and play, you know, mm -hmm. And hope that you've osmosed it a little bit and right. it'll come into your just let right. it go moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's really interesting that, that that's probably the, the biggest, I talked about this with, with uh, Victor who came yesterday and we were talking about that of the differences between kind of the, not the, the super trained musicians, like, like in particular the classical people and then like everybody else and their mentality of the, having that moment where you can make it where, where you have to kind of dive in in order to get better and to know what you're doing. But then the other people that if you go too far down that rabbit hole, it can be not fun anymore, like music in general. And then the, the non-trained people, it's always fun, you know, it's like, but then sometimes they kind of start getting into that box and they just stay there and mm -hmm. they don't progress it. Like, um, what do you what do you think about that analysis of the of the the going down too far or but needing to go there sort of too and well some of the things with practicing things that are out of your comfort zone because when when we practice it is it's going into area cold floor that's not in the comfort zone and it and it may not seem fun for but sometimes if we kind of keep pressing into it I find that inspiration it'll start to things will start to flow as you're working on it. And then new ideas will come out a lot of times. Uh, but it is like there is a time of discipline. You're kind of like, oh, boy, you know, especially if it's been a while and you're feeling really rusty and you're mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't know. But then you, you kind of press through and then and then you get a momentum going. And mm -hmm. then it's like it can be hard to turn off once you get going. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah, we call it being warm, right? I mean, you, you're rusty and then you you start getting the flow into it and, and all sorts of good stuff starts happening. Right. You, you keep, when you keep pushing through that moment where you, you're, you're like, Oh God, my bow feels terrible right now. You know, I haven't played in a month and uh, you know, and some people, you know, a lot of that stuff comes really naturally young guys, you know, mm -hmm. and as where some of us, like, I feel like I probably had to try to work a lot harder than some people to get, you know, a little results, but mm -hmm. you know, yeah, that's that's cool, man. Um, so I, I probably got a couple couple more for you here. Um, what 
yeah, I think you, you mentioned this a little bit ago, but what was, what was a thing in a previous band that, that didn't work? That, that you, I think you kind of mentioned that the other uh, a minute ago, but is, is there anything that you can think of that, that was... Well, I mean, sometimes it's the mentality of certain people in a band. You know, I was talking to a friend down in Texas that playing in different bands, and sometimes people, there might be a guy that has a real just kind of negative type thing mm -hmm. and, and can kind of wreck the vibe or whatever. But, I mean, there's a lot of things, you know that don't work. I mean, there could be a guy that doesn't uh, pull his weight, you know, or mm. learn the tunes or yeah. show up, <laughs> you know. Flaky, flaky. I mean, there's a lot of different aspects, I guess, on that subject. But uh, I, I've been fortunate, you know, the, the people I've been working with, it's been a blast. And then every once in a while, there was periods in life of playing gigs and getting different bands and different bar gigs and where it can just suck the life out of you. Maybe you get into a situation, you just, you know, you leave mm -hmm. the gig, it's like, ugh. And uh, every once in a while, you know, someone might call with a side gig somewhere and you're like, oh yeah, I haven't been here in a while. That kind of, I've been real fortunate to play with mm -hmm. a lot of great players that, that listen, you know, people that listen and do you think anything has any of that has to do with how much respect people have for you in town? You know that you're that you're uh, of why you're not getting a million flaky people in a row. You know that they kind of step up in your band. I I think there might be a little bit of truth to that. <laughs> Put you on the spot here, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, yeah. So um, so. What, uh, last couple here, the, so a lot of people decide that they're going to, we've kind of hit on this a little bit, but a lot of people decide that they're going to be straight covers and that's it, you know, and they're, they're going to play the, I, I had a conversation with actually Lonnie McFadden about this, about, he was telling me that, you know, you don't, you don't have to do. Sweetum Alabama and Mustang Sally and you know Brick House and all these you know these that that fifteen that a lot of a lot of us fifteen songs that everybody you know has played for me a million years and and they decide that we're just gonna we're gonna do that we're gonna make we're gonna make some money because everybody wants to hear those songs and we're just gonna be this band with a million covers and I know I've noticed that you you know your band doesn't do that as much especially the, that fifteen. You know those fifteen piano man, right? All those really well-known tunes. Uh, how how come how come you don't do that? Well, I have done. I've had had periods where right. I've done that those kind of things a lot, and and then you get you know, and probably moving into you know, more jazz and improv and funk and things. You know, just there's just there's a lot of tunes if I try to compile, and there's a few uh, old song lists in the closet. You know, that I've kept some stacks, you know, go back and look. A lot of tunes over the year, and every once in a while we may pull out, you mm -hmm. know, one yeah. of those, or we might do a treatment to it, like, you know, we might do Mustang Sally as a real fast country train kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, or something. Yeah. Uh, that's that sort of thing. But there's nothing wrong with people that, that want to do that. I uh, It's kind of a mentality, and if you get with someone that's really good at that, mm -hmm. you know, 
it, it can be fun. Right, know, right. Those people. And I guess my point is, is that see, and you, I think you're just you're you're saying what I was thinking is that like if you were to do that song, you would want to you know screw that is bad is a bad word, but you would want to do it in a different way maybe well like, i mean i i can but i i don't you know i mean i play with people who are doing it just straight funk or whatever right. and that's fine too you know i, I mean just wherever the situation just trying to play to the situation you're in with the players right. and make that work you know because uh that's that's the most important thing i think whoever you're playing with and if it's guys that are in a different level or whatever but just trying to listen and make that work maybe they're not playing even the right changes. And, and sometimes you could be fighting and going, oh, it's like here. Yeah, or, right. or you're like, okay, and kind of flow with that and just try to make this happen the best mm -hmm. that it can. Yeah. You know. Uh, so you're talking about the ultimate awareness of what you've got in front of you, you know, the mm -hmm. different players in front of you and being able to. Yeah, it's interacting with everything. Because even, even like playing with Caleb and stuff, you know, we might play the. Uh, same tune but we'll and sometimes we're in sync you know we'll both do something at the same time because it just feels right tonight to do this here yeah know? yeah and it happens you know and there's times where maybe you have that instinct and you don't do that it's like oh yeah i should have done it <laughs> <laughs> you were right you know? I, I hate that <laughs> i hate that moment <laughs> but that happens and that that's what happens with like you just throw a bunch of really good players on stage and sometimes that crap just happens, right? I mean, you, you mm. just know, and you just okay. know that they, they're going to make general cool decisions, not good right. decisions, but cool decisions about go here, go there, don't go, don't go, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Uh, I got one more question. Was there anything else that you, that you were thinking about? I don't know. This is... Your thing that you brought in. Uh, I don't know. I think we covered quite okay, a bit. Okay, covered a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um. So my last question is. Um, so with these, again, I've wanted this to be kind of a teaching tool for a lot of people to to watch, uh, especially, especially adults in the, in this in this gigging kind of world and teaching world of things that could help them out. Um, I'm always fascinated by not necessarily like the kids that are still learning, but like the 20 ish year olds that are trying to get into this band world and trying to gig and, and, uh, they, they maybe have some talent for sure, but they're now trying to like make some money at this. Um, do you have any good advice for, for kind of newer people getting into this gigging world? That's something that you would, would recommend that they do. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> no. uh, run, run it, run it. That's my parents' friends told me when I was a kid. You know, uh -huh. Don't do this. Don't get yeah. in this business. Yeah, that's no. funny. Uh, gosh. Uh, I don't know, really. Um, you know, networking, meeting, meeting people, and mm -hmm. you know, trying to really... Uh, uh, play with as many people as you can. Um, that's a good start. Really. Yeah, yeah, it definitely helps a lot because nobody, if nobody knows you, I mean, you can 
be the best player in the yeah, world. Yeah, you're getting out you know. the gigging, going to the going to the jams and networking, and mm. you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one, man. Because nobody nobody knows you. Nobody and you know, I mean, there was a thing I think I did when I was young. You know, I was putting little flyers up. You mm. know, guitar player available for bands mm. or, or looking for those. You know. Haven't done that in a while. <laughs> well, you <laughs> haven't needed Craigslist now. Yeah, right, right. Do that, so. Well, you haven't you haven't needed to. I mean, you've met a lot of people, and and those people know people, and now you've got this huge network of. Yeah, and, and uh, so yeah, man. Well, uh, got anything else, man? Not off. Not off the top, yeah. I know you were talking a little bit about uh, maybe bringing, uh, bringing your guitar in sometime and, and doing a do. Maybe I should have you back and we, we can do we can do a little playing and talk about that. That would be. I've had a lot of people talk to me about that idea, and I, I do like that idea. So I think we'll, we will do that at some point in the future. Um, take a little take a little half of a song or a chorus or something, and then talk about why that is so awesome you know why this chord to this etc would be cool and i'd love to have you back to do something like that'd that that'd be great so cool man well thanks for coming dude thanks yeah, for yeah, having yeah, me yeah so this is uh this is music talk and we got uh, brian ruskin here you guys can uh check out his band uh you guys are playing all over town and uh it's it's a very very cool band they they've got some really great players that are playing and i think the concept that you guys are doing is is even pretty unique for town. There's a lot of guys that stick with only, only, uh, only standards, and they, you know, they kind of, and they're great, and they, and but you guys kind of go off and do a different thing and add some of that and do and do what whatever you feel like doing. So I, I, I think your band's awesome, man. Well, I, I hope you, you, uh, you hope you keep it up, obviously. And um, so uh, until next time, this is music talk. See you guys later.